0: Welcome back to ENN Radio, a weekly podcast from Elon News Network bringing you the story behind the headlines. I'm Anna Terry. This week on the Black History Month edition of ENN Radio, the U.S. Supreme Court to hear a challenge to race in college admissions. Elon men's basketball player Hunter McIntosh fights back against racism. Burlington residents look for black spaces. Today I am joined by ENN copy chief Sophie Rosenthal. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I've seen you. I see you all the time in the newsroom, but I haven't done a podcast with you in a while. So I'm very excited to be back in the studio (laughs) together. I think
1: actually the last time that I was on the podcast was for the last Black History Month edition. Oh, wow.
0: So a year later. And this week, you looked into the case to be heard in the U.S. Supreme Court challenging affirmative action in admissions. So first off, for those who are not as familiar, do you mind providing a little bit of background about what's going on in the U.S. Supreme Court regarding affirmative action? Sure, yeah. So there were two initial cases in 2014
1: filed by a conservative advocacy group um, called the Students for Fair Admissions um, and they essentially filed two separate suits against one against Harvard College and the other against um, UNC Chapel Hill. Um, so the one that I mostly focused on was the one against Harvard College just because Harvard's the first time that the Supreme Court has heard a affirmative action case against a private school um, and since Elon's a private school that's why I chose to dig dig a little bit deeper into what that means and essentially whether that is um will have effects on elon um but so yeah so this went through the appeal system um since 2014 all the way till now and then in october um i believe of 2021 uh, the Supreme Court decide- agreed to hear the case um, in the next term of the Supreme Court. So this won't happen this year. It'll probably be next year we'll get a decision in 2023.
0: Mm hmm. And the Supreme Court has handled several other affirmative action cases over the years. Is this true?
1: Yes. So the earliest case um, in the Supreme Court was in 1978, um, which was University of California Regents versus Bach or Bachy. Um, And that case essentially was a student who sued the University of California for not getting in, um, and basically used the argument that they had a racial quota, and in trying to fill that quota, they didn't consider him. Um, And so in that case, that set the precedent essentially that um, the universities cannot have racial quotas. They essentially said, you can't just you can't just like pick any random person, as um, my source, Tiffany Atkins,
2: um, the Elon law professor said. We know that you can't just use race to fill a quota. You can't say we need 20 black students. Go find me any 20 that will do right. The court has said that's inefficient, that's unconstitutional. But the use of race as a fact. In admissions and schools, depending on their history, their own history with racial exclusion can modify that to an extent. So um,
1: in Grutter v. Bollinger, which happened in 2003, um, there was essentially the that case established the precedent that um, schools can use race as like a soft factor, soft positive factor. Um, and establish sort of this, what's um, colloquially known as the like race plus system, which essentially means you can use race as a plus factor um, to like boost an application a little bit, but it can't be like, again, the reason that
0: um, a student gets into a university. And grutter versus Bollinger established the race plus model, obviously. So right now, the case that's in the 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 two cases that are going to the U.S. Supreme Court, these are trying to overturn this model?
1: Yeah, so they want to essentially say that um, they should have, like, a sort of, you know, the colorblind, like, analogy that went around um, that people have pretty much come to the consensus is not an effective way to to pursue equality, uh, equity, things like that. But essentially this group is saying we need to have this colorblind, raceblind um, sort of admissions process in order to prevent things like, um, to go back a little bit, essentially at Harvard, there was an issue. Their argument is that they were using a sort of plus factor um, model with personality traits. Um, and they were saying essentially, when looking at individual applications, um, Asian American students were being Given these negative personality factors, and it allowed them to, in SFFA's words, um, sort of create this soft quota so that they could limit the amount of Asian American students that they were allowing into the school. So essentially, uh, their argument is that if you didn't know what the student's race is at all, then you wouldn't be able to um, you wouldn't be able to say that they have a negative personality trait based on their race. If that makes sense.
0: And Tiffany Atkins, who teaches race law, said that she personally believes that the race plus admissions model is the best way to conduct race conscious admissions. Can you explain a little bit more about what she said? OK, yeah. so what Professor Atkins said to me was that essentially
1: not that she believes that this is the best Way to conduct it in overall, just that under this current precedent, um, when schools acknowledge that they have a lack of representation in their own personal history, that the race plus model is the best way to conduct these race conscious admissions.
2: So if a school knows that it has a history of excluding black students, other students of color, and so they prioritize inclusion of those groups, I think that that's fair. And the Supreme Court tells us that you can do that.
1: The question that we initially went into this research um, looking at was, since Harvard is a private school, um, what does it, like, does the Supreme Court even have jurisdiction over them? Mm -hmm. Um, And then going off of that, if the Supreme Court does, then does the Supreme Court have jurisdiction over Elon, you know, um, as another private school? And so basically what we, what I learned is that yes the supreme court has jurisdiction over harvard but it always has and to an extension of that is that it, it's always had jurisdiction over elon as well And so that basically goes back to um the civil rights act of 1964 and title six of that act is um prohibiting uh discrimination in an educational context um and so essentially any pro-
2: uh, institution that receives federal funding is subject to that act. What the Civil Rights Act of 64 said is that we're no longer leaving it to the states to decide which rules they follow and which they don't, how they treat people based on race, gender, and other identifying demographics or other identifying characteristics. And since Elon receives federal
1: funding, since Harvard receives federal funding, they would be subject to uh, a case in the Supreme Court.
0: Mm hmm. And you talked to Kennedy Boston, who is a black student here at Elon University. What was her perception on the race plus system?
1: She had um, sort of a internal battle with it, sort of. She doesn't think that the race plus system itself is a good way to represent students just because she sort of was asking the question of who is the person who is deciding why, Um, or deciding what value race gets, like who gets to decide whether it counts as this much or that much or whatever, right? Um, To her, she said that um, affirmative action in general had good intentions and she really, she thinks that without it, you know, like we wouldn't have the same admissions process that we have today. But um, going into sort of looking at how it's been used and looking at the way that it's being it's it's so contentious um, in America right now. Um, She sort of was saying, I think there needs to be an update.
0: Mm -hmm. And as Boston was applying to colleges, did she have any concerns about how her race would affect how her application was perceived by admissions offices? Yeah, so she applied to a couple of a predominantly
1: white institutions like Elon, um, and she was saying when she was applying to those schools, um, she sort of had this, like, internal, like, it was always just there for her that she knew that was going to be a part of her application, you know, and, um, she said that she did both, um, she did an interview both at Elon and at uh, Wake Forest. And she said in both of those cases, she was like, I'm there, I'm going, I'm going to be right in front of them. They can see me, you know, they can see that I'm black. So um, I think in those cases, essentially, she was saying there's always going to be an implicit bias. There's always going to be a um, a shift in how people view her because of those because of that part of her identity.
0: Mm -hmm. And you also talked to Greg Zeiser, Vice President of Enrollment, and Kimberly Romero, the Assistant Director of Admissions for Diversity and Access. How did they explain how race plays into their admissions decisions at Elon?
1: Yeah, so what they told me essentially is that um, race is a factor that they use at Elon, but also that it's not... They're, they're not hiding it, essentially. Um, so their argument, or not really argument, but they um, to them, they have been pretty open and vocal about their initiatives um, to increase diversity on Elon's
0: campus. Zeiser and Romero wrote to Elon News Network, quote, Per our university values and the boldly Elon strategic plan, we seek to build a class of students from different backgrounds, perspectives, and areas of the world, end quote. So I asked them, essentially, what do
1: they think, like, Elon would be, how would Elon react if they, if Elon was in a, t- a situation like Harvard? And they essentially responded that Elon wouldn't be in a situation like Harvard because the reason that Elon, that Harvard is facing these issues is because of their high, uh, highly competitive nature. Um, so because They're so selective, they can't be inclusive, whereas at Elon, since we have so so much higher of an acceptance rate and they're looking to accept people rather than looking to reject people, um, it wouldn't they wouldn't have such an issue.
0: And you talked to Atkins about the last time affirmative action in admissions was talked about in the Supreme Court, which was Fisher v. University of Texas in 2016. This case was meant to set a precedent for many oncoming years regarding race-conscious admissions, yet less than a decade later, two different cases regarding the same issues are to be challenged by the Supreme Court. What is the reasoning for this? So basically, with
1: the the reason why people are saying it's like so soon after the last case to even think about this is that in twenty sixteen, the like ideological composition of the of the uh, court was different, right? Because um, twenty sixteen was obviously first year of uh, President Trump's uh, administration, um, so he didn't at that point he'd only put in one justice. Um, now three years or six years later jesus um now six years later um ruth bader ginsburg has died and um there have been he put in three people and he's installed three people who are ideologically more conservative um so overall the like the court that existed when they heard the 2016 case had an idea that this precedent is going to establish that this is what this is and we're not going to talk like we're not there's no
2: reason to look at it even further. The, the, the politicking, as we would say here, is that we now have this super conservative court. The balance of power has shifted. And so I had asked Professor Atkins um,
1: sort of like what was unique about these cases um, and why the Supreme Court would li- would hear them so soon after and she essentially said that there is nothing novel about these cases they seem pretty standard compared to other cases in the past um but the the only reason the supreme court hears something that they've already heard is because they could possibly go back on what they've like to change a precedent you know because the supreme court precedent is the highest that you can get so only they can overturn themselves
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And those are all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much for your time today. Of course. Anytime. Hunter McIntosh, a junior on the men's basketball team, spoke with our Caitlin Rundle about how he and the team continue to take a stance against racism and how they try to make an impact outside of the game. Over my last four years here, I've seen policies and changes to the curriculum take place to improve the culture on campus in general. But obviously, as a white person, I don't really see those impacts on campus. Have you, over your past three years, seen these policies, seen these changes, impact the culture on campus in any way, shape, or form?
3: I would say at least kind of policy-wise, um, especially, you know, obviously last summer there was a lot of, you know, events that um, you know, within America, you know, kind of opened some eyes. So um, I felt like, um, personally, kind of Elon's response to it, um, I felt like they, they kind of got ahead of it. I mean, day-to-day, I would say maybe not as much as has changed per se, but um, I, I do feel like, at least at Elon, like I feel comfortable, you know, being able to you know, express, you know, my feelings, my thoughts. Is
0: there anything that you would like to see change specifically at Elon? I
3: feel like, you know, there's, you know, tons of different groups, tons of different, you know, communities, you know, rather fraternities, sororities, or, you know, kind of on campus, you know, groups or clubs. I'd probably like to see, you know, a lot more kind of mixing of those. Like, I feel like, you know, every, you know, group or something has something to offer. But I feel like just kind of as people, you know, we have a lot more similarities and differences. So, I think just kind of mixing of those groups, you know, sometimes it happens naturally but you know sometimes you kind of need to have you know spaces and stuff where different types of groups and communities can come together
0: can you talk about just a little bit about the team and your message as a team
3: we kind of you know feel like um you know we have we have a voice you know people kind of you know kind of gravitate towards our team and you know want to watch us and watch us compete but um we also know like it's bigger than basketball, like life is bigger than basketball. I, I, think, the, I think the onus is kind of on at least us as you know, players and students to kind of continue that message. I, I think the kind of responsibility kind of weighs on us a little, little more, but um, I kind of don't see it as a problem. Like I think that, you know, you know we are the ones who are you know, kind of pushing the narrative forward and I, I kind of feel like it, it's important that the ball should be in our court.
0: of Burlington's black community expressed the need for more spaces for civic engagement, meetings with personal agendas, and a place to express their voices. Lifelong Burlington resident who is currently running for Alamance Board of Education Seneca Rogers says he has spoken with residents who have these concerns.
2: You have these, these parents who, who might not be able to show up to a board meeting or show up to an actual meeting at the school. It just seems like Nobody cares because we're not the ones loud and yelling at the school board meeting.
0: The goal is to also educate black community members about politics in Alamance County. One thing Drema Caldwell wishes she had before running for Alamance County Commissioner last year.
2: It's so heavy in Alamance, you need a space for black joy um, because there's so much going on, so much trauma circulating um, that there, there has to be a place where you can have some black joy.
0: Roger said that as the black community continues to engage with each other about future meeting spaces, 2022 will also be a year that will seek voter engagement, racial justice and promotion of black businesses. That's it for this week's episode of ENN Radio. Subscribe to ENN Radio on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media at Elon News Network. For the latest news, visit our website, Elon News Network dot com